Jesus, thank you so much for the power of the written word, the word of the living God. You know, the Bible says that your word is settled forever in heaven, O God. So in heaven, nobody's debating whether the word of God is the word of God. It's only in the earth where there's where it's chaos, where there's a fight and a battle over the word of God. But not in this church. Amen. We believe the Word of God is the Word of God is the Word of God. It is our food, it is our sustenance, it is the wisdom of God, it gives us life. Do you believe that? The Bible is the Word of God. Let me ask that again. Do you believe that? All right. You better shout me down today or I'm going to just preach really slow, very slowly. So today we're, we're uh, continuing our series, 40 Days of Hope. God inspired this in me, uh, which means to me, that always means this is a relevant word from God to us right now. Human beings cannot live without hope. And as you can see, clearly our nation cannot live without hope. The hopelessness that many feel right now in our nation to where you even have college students who need counseling because of who became president. They're being given cookies and puppies, and they're canceling uh, exams because students are so distraught they can't even focus. What is up with that? Or you get those whose candidate won the presidency and they act like it's the second coming of Jesus Christ himself. You have this, this low, low that is literally couldn't even be measured the depth of depression and discouragement on one side. And then you have the high highs of glee and celebration and even, even mockery on the other side. Uh, just, just both sides of this political divide are acting like God is not on the throne. And that includes some in this church. Because all you have to do is go on Facebook and you can see where people's hope is. Facebook really is a mirror that reveals where our faith really is. And honestly, where our Christian character is as well. We are to be bridge builders and carriers of hope. And when we get caught up in temporal power, as though it is our Savior... And then we begin to behave out of our true source of hope, which is political power. Then we do not behave like Christians. It is only when we are anchored in God and realize God and God alone is permanent and eternal and in charge. Do we rest and behave like believers? Can I hear an amen yet? We've got to do this well because there's a hopeless world that is looking for hope. And if they can't turn to followers of Jesus Christ and find something different, there is no hope. Jesus called us the light of the world, the salt of the earth. So let's act like it. Here's what the Bible says about those who disconnect from God. Look at the Bible says in the book of Job. This sermon is called the five anchors of hope. Those who don't, well, let's read this out loud with me. Those who don't turn to God have no hope, not some hope. You see, you might find temporary hope and financial aid or a counselor or a friend 
or even the, even the political power. Let me tell you something. Political tides turn. For those whose person is in the White House, it's not going to last. Dynasties rise and dynasties fall. Nations rise and nations fall. Kings come and kings go. And queens. We cannot put our hope in temporal things. Let's read it out loud again. Those who don't turn to God have no hope. But here's our foundational text for this series. Let's read this out loud together. This next verse. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. What anchor are we talking about here? What's the Bible talking about here? God. This hope, our hope in God, we have as an anchor to our souls. When do you need an anchor? Just tell me. This is a open and storms. You need an anchor. So you, so you don't get tossed and turned, drift and drowned. You have to have an anchor. And our world does not have an anchor. One of the things that makes me so distraught is these hundreds of thousands, even millions of students all over the earth that are weeping and crying and rioting and protesting. The people that are leading them, what do they have to offer? When they come into the office of a, of a teacher or a professor or a mentor or someone or administration, what are they offering them for their hopelessness? If you cannot offer them Christ, they still have no hope. It breaks my heart knowing the soul condition of these young people and the people they turn to can't offer them the only hope that is truly hope, which is God. I want to meet with every single one of them all over the nation. If I could, but I can't, but the body of Christ can. We can if we're unleashed as hope carriers, if we're carrying the right message. You can. You have a circle of influence. You run into people who feel like they have no hope. It was even said by our former president's wife. She said we are hopeless on Oprah. I was like, oh my goodness gracious. Unfortunately, that's the wrong message. But you're also at the same time, it's the only message you have if you're not anchored in God. And I'm not just singling her out, but man, when you have a position of influence like that, and that's the message you give out, it might be the only message you can give out if you're not anchored in God. But I say it to the other side as well. Again, I'm going to say it again to make sure we balance things out here. Well, I think I've already said it. Just check your joy and depression level and you know where your anchor is. So today I want to drill down on five, the five anchors that God gives to us. Five God anchors. Am I preaching yet? Are you guys getting anything yet? Because this is real. This is important. Five God anchors that he gives to us. Let's say these out loud together. 
The promises of God, prayer to God, the presence of God, the people of God, and the proclamation of the good news of God. Come on, let's do it again. Do it loud. Here we go. The promises of God, prayer to God, the presence of God, the people of God, and the proclamation of the good news of God. These are five God anchors that are available to every single one of us. But you know whose responsibility it is to drop the anchor when you are in the boat and you are in the midst of a storm and you're the only one in the boat? Whose responsibility is it to drop an anchor? It's your responsibility. So God makes himself available to every human being, but he does not force himself on us. He offers his promises. He gives us the privilege of prayer. He offers his presence. He gives you a people to belong to. And he has given you the proclamation of the good news as an anchor that you give to others. But you have to choose to drop these anchors in your life and your marriage and your business and your ministry and your family. So I want to look at a passage of scripture today, a story of a guy who was jammed up. He was the leader of a nation. But because God was his hope, he dropped all five anchors. And his one gnarly situation. Let's take a look at this in the book of Second Chronicles and chapter 20. For some of you, this is a very familiar passage. For others of you, this is the first time you've ever seen this story. And it is going to rock your world. And I pray that we all would... Learn from Jehoshaphat and how he faced an insurmountable, overwhelming problem in his life. You guys ready? Second Chronicles chapter 20. Here we go. Verse 1. And it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat saying... A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they are in Hazazon, Tamar, which is in En In other words, they are on your doorstep. Have you ever received really bad news, like a phone call, like Hope did a while back? Breast cancer? And she had to call me. That's a phone call that is shock and awe. I mean, that rattles you to your bones when you get that kind of news. Or a loved one just died unexpectedly. Or you find that your spouse has been cheating on you. Or that your child is pregnant when you thought she was a virgin. Or you got laid off from work after you've given Years and years to the company. Or the stock market crashes like in 08 and you use, lose thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Anybody ever had a shock and awe in their life? You ever gotten that phone call, gotten that news that just, I mean, fear grips you. And you have no idea what you're going to do. Some of you, you can't, you have too much month at the end of your paycheck and you can't make rent. I remember what that feels like. Financial strain and stress is is crippling. Where's it going to come from? I know what that feels like. Well, in this situation, 
the king, Jehoshaphat, the king of God's people, they're about to get wiped out. There's no hope. There's no hope in the natural. They have no defense against these armies that have collaborated together to wipe out Israel. Sound familiar? So what does Jehoshaphat the king do? The first thing he did was fear. Look at this, verse 3. And Jehoshaphat feared. Sure he did, down to the core of his being. But look at the next thing he did. He dropped an anchor and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast about all Judea. What is the first thing you do when you hear bad news? You call a friend? What's the first thing you do when you hear bad news? We freak out, and then we try everything else that we possibly can in the natural to see if we can find a solution to our problem. And when there's not one, some will say, well, I guess all that's left to do now is pray, right? But what was the first thing Jehoshaphat did? First thing he did was prayed. See, he knew where to take his fears. He allowed his fears to drive him to God. We got to learn this. When you feel fear, the first thing we should do is say, ah, I got to go to God with this fear and cry out to God. He dropped the anchor of prayer. But he did not do it alone. Watch him drop the second anchor. And so in verse 3, he proclaimed a fast throughout all of, Ju- all of Judah. In verse 4, so Judah gathered together. So you can't be an isolated Christian. You can't live life alone. God did not design you to live life by yourself. He didn't design you to be able to do that. He did not design you as a human being to be able to survive and certainly not thrive isolated impossibility he didn't create you to be able to do that nor did he create you to live life just with your spouse or even just with your spouse and your kids because god has purposely created you with limitations so that you would need others kaboom so the 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 larger you can make your make your network The greater love, the greater resources, the greater success you're going to have. Learning that God comes to you in myriads of different ways and faces and colors and creeds. and I mean, God comes and meets your needs through all sorts of different resources, through people. So you've got to watch and see God. Who's God going to come to me through next? So you see... Jehoshaphat the king knew that he needed to call people's, God's people together to face this thing together. It doesn't mean that you're weak when you were overwhelmed with the situation and you can't resolve it or figure it out or stand on your own. It doesn't mean you're weak. It means you're human, which means you're weak. Because you're human. I mean, here's a small thing, like with, with, with uh, Brittany and Christopher and Savannah, the little baby. So I look at the chart, and I say, oh, they need some food. 
I'm going to be going down that way to a meeting. I'm going to go grab some food and I'm going to take it to their house. That's a small thing, right? But when I show up and, and here's Brittany just had a baby three and a half weeks ago. And, you know, I don't think she has slept for three and a half weeks and she probably hasn't taken a shower for three and a half weeks. Because that's what happens when you have a baby. And Chris is in the military, so he's off doing his deal. And what are they going to do for dinner? She's not going to be cooking dinner when she's taking care of a three and a half year old baby and her husband's working. So super pastor shows up. Uh, what was that? Should... Rick said good job, Mark. <laughs> Did Mark come to your home yet? Pastor Mark? No. Did Pastor Josh come to your home yet? No. Did Rick? Who ever... yeah. Oh, you have a... No, she would... No, that doesn't count. No. <laughs> Pastor Josh's wife brought the food over. But what, it, what, what does it mean? This is a small example, and I'm doing it to be self-serving, so you guys think I'm wonderful. You know my motivations here. What does it mean to a mom who's at home with a three-and-a-half-week-old baby, and she's got to make dinner for her husband? Her husband's at work. I gotta... And a Christian, a brother comes by and says, hey, here's dinner. Bless you, beautiful baby. Jesus is all over you guys. We love you guys. And she said, I, this is just absolutely wonderful. We have no family out here. I, I just I can't believe the love and that you guys would actually do this and have a calendar and people would come over. And I said, well, that, that's how we roll. This is the body of Christ. We're family. She said, you guys are my family because I don't have any family here. I said, well, here we are. Isn't that great? that's great that's great you don't have all the gifts and god's created you not to have all the gifts so that you get bits and pieces from those around you and that's how you meet god then he dives then he drops the third anchor and this this one i just went over the body of christ i'm gonna i told you i would uh, drilled down on each one of these anchors each week. But when I saw this passage, I thought, we got to go through this together. This guy dropped all five anchors in one day. So I just wanted to hit this. But uh, I'm going to do one called Anchored in Community. And we'll probably do that in a couple of weeks. Um, but let's move on here. What's the next anchor he drops in verse 5? Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly, see that, with the people of God and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. People say church isn't important anymore. They would be wrong and said, oh, Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand, there is not power and might so that you that no one is able to withstand you. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it and have built your sanctuary uh, for your name, saying, This is what God has said. If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before the temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. He is quoting a promise from the Bible back to God. I want to show you that promise. Look at this. In 2 Chronicles 7.14. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this. Here's a promise. Let's, let's read it out loud. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. He's quoting this scripture 
that's only a few chapters back in the same book, to God in the midst of their immediate situation. Do you know there's a scripture that says all of God's promises have come to pass. Not one of them have failed. So he takes this scripture. He quotes it back to God. And then here comes the application in verse 10. And now everybody say now. You see, the now makes religion relevant. In other words, what you believe is really just what you believe. But when you're in crisis and you have a God to go to and you have promises from the living God, which is what this book is, 7,000 promises from God to you in this book. 7,000 promises. Look, when you don't have this book in your brain, where do you go? What do you think? What thoughts are you thinking? How can you have any faith if you don't have at least one of the 7,000 promises God has given to his children in the earth that we can return back to him? Why do you think he gave us promises? Because he knew we were going to hit a crisis. And he wants us to grab a promise and say, Dad, you said you'd do this for me. The Bible says in the same book, 2 Chronicles, that God's eyes go all throughout the earth looking to see whose hearts are loyal to him so that he can show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. God loves it when we cry out to him. And when you have promises of God, man, when I first got saved, I was 19 years old, and somebody told me, they said, there's power in this book. Memorize this book. I started memorizing it. Literally, I memorized scriptures every day. I memorized books of the Bible. I memorized the first six chapters of the book of Proverbs. I memorized the book of Ephesians. I mean, getting the word of God, the promises of your father in your brain will save your life. And you hear this, these foolish philosophies of men, and you can detect them so quickly. You say, well, that's not God's wisdom. God didn't say that. God wouldn't say that. That's not the Bible. That's not my father talking. The devil would have such a hard time discouraging and depressing and misleading you because your brain is so full of God. So he takes the promise and he gives direct application. Look at this. And now, God... Here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given to us. So he is returning God's promise back to God and saying, and right now we need you to fulfill one of your promises. Verse 12, O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power. See this humility and honesty and dependency right here on God? They admitted their weaknesses. The Bible says that God comes upon you in your weaknesses with his power. We, we say, be all you can be. And not to throw down on the marine motto, Chris. Be all you can be. I don't want to be all I can be. I want God to be all he can be through John. My body, his life. That's Christianity. Christianity is not do more, try harder, and achieve. Christianity is receive and then flow. 
It's receiving God's love, which causes us to love God back. Receive God's love, and you're able to give love. Receive His forgiveness, you can forgive others. Receive God's provision, you can be a giver to others. Receive God's wisdom, you can solve problems. That's what Christianity is, is us receiving from the living God. And therefore, we become the salt and light of the world because He's shining through us. You don't impress God. Seriously, think about it. Really? Wow, look at that specimen, Jesus. Well, I know he's impressed me his entire life. I just don't even know if I can compete with him. So when you come to the end of yourself, admit it. And then go to God. Look what he says. We have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. Everybody say this out loud. But our eyes are on you. That's the problem with our nation right now. Our eyes are on political rulers rather than on God. And might be what your problem is right now too. Your eyes are on the natural situation in your life and not on God. I remember when my brother and I were in business here in San Diego and we were devastated financially. Uh, my brother had a nervous breakdown. He was at home in bed. I was the only employee for the company. We were a franchise for a multi-million dollar corporation here in San Diego. And we were going uh, thousands of dollars in debt every month. And we were going deeper and deeper. We were about $100,000 in debt at the time. And back in 19, early 80s, that's a lot of money. And uh, we, were, we were just, we were hopeless. We were hopeless. So what did we do? I was two years old. I'd only given my life to Christ like two years earlier. He had done it a year earlier. But we had been taught the things I'm teaching you today about the promises of God. We were taught that the Word of God is the Word of God is the Word of God, and God is faithful to His Word. So that's when I was going to Bible school, and I was memorizing scriptures and stuff. So we made a contract, and I, I uh, found it this morning. This is a contract my, my brother and I made with God in 1986. Do you have, do you have that picture up there, Mighty Chance? I sent it to the mic this morning to see if you can get that up there. I just took a snapshot of it this morning. This is prayer of agreement for sales. Okay, so this is a stupid, this is a stupid uh, uh, level of belief. We're devastated. He's on his bed. Um, we have no em- employees. It's just me. And we are going under. Nobody's buying what we have to sell. Nobody. And so we say, and this is, this was in uh, November of uh Six in 1986. And the top it says prayer of agreement for sales manager of the year. That would be my brother. would be the sales manager of the year uh, in uh, six weeks left in the year. And I would be the salesperson of the year, 1986. That's what we agreed on. And then we wrote down these promises from God about blessing all the works of our hands and that he's with us and all that we do and that we tithe and we give to the kingdom of God. So God says he'll open up the heavens upon us and pour out blessings upon us. See, we're not looking to, we, well, of course, we were devastated. We have, we, we have no way out, God. We have no answers to this. The, 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 we're devastated. We have no hope. So what did we do? We went to the word of God. And we wrote down his promises, and then at the bottom it says, the last paragraph, by the authority given to us as believers in the name of Jesus, John and I, my brother wrote this, and I now bind all evil adversaries and devourers of our business and finances and loose the flood tide of heaven and the grace of God upon us in such a way that we become the first place sales manager and first place sales person of the year this year of 1986 in Jesus' name, so be it, and we both signed it. 
And I also wrote in here a blue pen a little later. What's that say? Fulfilled. Fulfilled. Now, look, you give a little patty cake, but when you're living it, you're not just patty caking when that comes to pass. I'm telling you, I sat in my, when we prayed and we believed and we wrote down that contract with God, we hear your promises, God, we are, we're in trouble. We couldn't even, we could, we couldn't afford to pay attention. We didn't have money for food. We had somebody bringing us peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We were baroque. And when we prayed God's promises and we exercised our faith in the faithfulness of God, I remember sitting in my office and all of a sudden this group of guys come in and they say, hey, we heard about this thing that you're selling and we'd like to buy it. I'm like, really? And as I'm signing them up, the phone rings and somebody says, hey, uh, we heard about this product you have and me and some buddies want to come down here and get that. Can we come down right now? And I said, uh, yeah, okay. And then as I'm doing that, the door opens up and another group of people come in. And I mean, it was that way for six straight weeks. And I was top salesman in the nation for this company. And that went, it was more than I could, I could handle. I couldn't handle them all. And that went on for four straight years. And then God called me into the ministry. We were on television, we were in magazines, but it wasn't me and my personality and my sales skills. It was, we were in a devastated situation, we had no hope, and we cried out to God based on His promises, and God showed Himself, poof, you guys done flexing your muscles? Because I'm about to flex mine. He dropped the anchor of prayer to God. He dropped the anchor of the people of God. He dropped the anchor of the promises of God. And now here comes the presence of God. Verse 13. Now all Judah and their little ones. I'm running out of time, so I've got to go fast here. But this is, this is just good stuff, isn't it? Verse, verse 13. Now all Judah and their families and the little ones, their wives, their children, stood before the Lord, just like we did earlier in here on Family Sunday. Then. Everybody say then. You see the then? You see the cause and effect here? Then. The Spirit of the Lord came. You see that? You see that? They get hit with an impossible situation. What do they do? They fear and they look up. They drop the anchor of prayer, drop the anchor of the people of God, drop the anchor of the promises of God. Then they confess their weakness and say, oh God, then the Spirit of the Lord. See that? God's power comes upon our weaknesses. Then you get stuff that is supernatural. Oh, man, God is so good. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of... In verse 15, and he said, here's the Spirit of God spontaneously prophesying. This is real time. This is now. God says, listen, all of you, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jerusalem. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear. Nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. All Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. 
This is the next anchor, which is the presence of God. God's presence came, and how did they respond? Verse 19, then the Levites of the children of the Kohites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. How do you know they believed the word of the Lord? See, not all prophecies from God. Brother, I think I have a word for you. You've married the wrong woman. That would not be a prophecy from God. That is the devil, okay? Now, I believe there's more ways to God than just one. Thus saith the Lord. Well, that is stupid, right? I'm giving you extreme examples of dumb prophecies. But when somebody says they feel like they have something from God for you, it's not always God. But many times it is. And here's what happens. When you hear some prophecies that weren't from the Lord, then you begin to what the Bible calls despise prophecy. The word despise means to think little of. Just say that's not important. I have the written Bible. It's safe. But I don't need this supernatural gift of prophecy thing because I've heard some dumb prophecies. And you shut out a bunch of God. And you can't afford to do that. So you, you just have to walk the line with the rest of us and use discernment and discern what is God and what isn't God. This was, this was a dumb assignment. This was not a very smart military strategy. He says to them, just go out there and stand in front of him and don't worry about it. The battle's not yours. But you've got to go out there into the front of the battle. You've got to stand before all these five kings or however many there were. And you just need to stand there. And what did they do? They praised him loud and high. Yeah, God! What are they praising him for? They believe it. They believe the prophecy. You know it because they're praising him. And look what Jehoshaphat the king goes on to say. And it's what I'm saying to you today as the, as the people of God that I am privileged to preach to. Look what Jehoshaphat said to the people that he was privileged to lead. In verse 20. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And they, they went out. Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. So there's your foundation. I believe in God. But that's not enough. Look what he says next. And believe his prophets and you shall prosper. It's one thing to survive. It's another thing to thrive. Come on now. It's one thing to be established in God. That's great. And you're going to make it to heaven. It's another thing to prosper in God. And most times that comes through the words and the gifts of prophecy of your brothers and sisters around you that have a word for you in due season when you need it. The Bible says in the book of Ezra, when the Jews are trying to rebuild the temple, it says they prospered by the prophesying of Haggai and Zechariah. They were so discouraged. You read that story in the Bible. They were so discouraged. They were so overwhelmed. They didn't have the resources. They were being attacked by the enemy. There was no hope. But two prophets stood up and started prophesying words of the Lord. You can do this. God's on your side. Remember your God. And it breathed hope into all the builders. And they said, yes, we can do this. And they did it. Through the prophesying. I'm prophesying to you right now, and hope is rising in your hearts. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit that's given to the body of Christ to breathe hope into you. It's not hype. This isn't hype. I'm hyper, 
But what I'm saying isn't hype. This is Bible. And the Spirit of God is speaking to us this morning about having hope in hopeless situations because we serve the God of hope. And then we have the last anchor. He drops the last anchor. And when he had consulted with the people, not in isolation, but he, the king consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing and praise and the beauty of his holiness. And they went out before the army. God didn't tell them to do that. He said, just go out before them. And they got together and they said, how do we want to apply this? I tell you what, why don't we just, why don't we just I don't know, humiliate the army that's out there by sending our singers out front with their tambourines and just dance in front of their face and just dance and sing songs i mean you know when the scots would come over the hills in their skirts playing the bagpipes you know what they called them ladies from hell that's what they called the scots the scots learned the power of music and the power of praise they'd come over those hills in their skirts and their bagpipes and they would the army the other army would just freak out they call them the ladies from hell, Chris. These, 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 so this is why we begin every church service with praise. We get out of ourselves and we go vertical. And we just get our eyes on God. And God comes into this place with his presence. So this last anchor is a little caveat here. This last anchor is the, pro, is the, is the proclamation of God. And what do they say about God here? Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. His mercy. God is merciful. Our God is merciful. They begin to just praise God. I remember one time, I don't have time to tell the whole story, but one time I was really, really sick and I couldn't break the sickness. And a friend of mine prayed for me and nothing happened. And God said, okay, praise me for your healing. I was like, that's weird because I'm not healed. But I just started praising him and praising him and praising him and praising him. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you for my healing. Thank you for my healing. Thank you for my healing. My, I mean, my snot's going down my face. and my, I can't drive the car because my eyes are all red and watery. And I think, i got to pull off the road. I'm going to wreck. I can't. And my, man, my throat was hurting. My head was throbbing. and been going on for days. Praise you for my healing. Praise you. I want to pray. And all of a sudden, it was, boop, it was all gone. I was completely healed. I was praising him. Before the manifestation of his promise. Because I believed the promise before I actually saw the evidence. Of it. The caveat in this situation is they proclaimed the goodness of God, but it was for themselves. <laughs> because in this situation, the only, the only people that this news was good for was the people of God. Everybody else, you read on, the presence of God came and wiped out the enemy. They all died. That's Old Testament good news, which is God is good to us, but he wipes everybody else out. In the New Testament, the good news is different. And let's read what the New Testament says about the good news of God. In the book of Romans chapter 5, verse 6 and 11, we'll close with this. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 11. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. 
For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies. See, in New Testament theology, all of us are enemies of God. Because we basically said, no, I'm going to live life my own way. And it's obstinate and it's independent and it's rebellious. And it makes us enemies of God. Because God rules. We don't. But we act like we do. And we actually pit ourselves against God's authority. But when you come to Christ, you submit to the Son of God and to the authority of God. And you confess Jesus as King and you come under His kingship and lordship. You literally, immediately you're changed from being the enemy of God to being the friend of God. Jesus said you're either for me or against me. There is no gray line. So now we can rejoice. But when we were still his enemies, we certainly will be saved by the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Can I hear an amen? Some of you today are what the Bible still calls the enemy of God, and that is that you have not yet submitted to his authority. What that means is you're on your own. And when the day of judgment comes, you're going to meet God face to face, and you're going to try to impress him with your good works. And say, well, you know, I was good. I I did good to others. You know, I didn't hurt anybody. And none of that's true. I'm sure you have been good to some. But the reality is you have sinned. We all have sinned. And the Bible says the penalty of sin is eternal separation from God. Penalty of sin is death. Which is why God, because he loves you so much, sent his son to die in your place. It was a gift. It's a substitution. Your life for his. Your life of sin and rebellion for his life of innocence and purity and righteousness. And when you receive Jesus Christ, which I'm going to give you a moment to do that right now, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, the first thing that happens is all your sins are completely erased in the record books of heaven. The second thing that happens is Jesus breathes his spirit into your soul and you become a child of God. That's going to happen right here this morning. And you're going to experience peace like you've never known before because it's the peace of God. Because you can't have peace in God until you have peace with God. And that's the forgiveness of your sins. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes here in this place just for a moment. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and you want to know that you're right with God, you need your sins forgiven and you want to bow your knee to Jesus this morning and make him the Savior of your life. Will you raise your hand right where you are? I pray for you, and Jesus is going to come into your heart this morning. Raise your hand and say, I want to give my life to Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. I can become a child of God right here, right now, this morning. I need this. Raise your hand right where you are and say, that's me. I'm giving my life to Jesus this morning. Don't be afraid. Jesus is here to forgive you and to make you his friend. Anybody, y'all, just raise your hand straight up and say, that's me. I'm going to give my life to Jesus this morning.